You know how we always talk about living our lives in chapters on this show? Well, the woman you are about to meet is living proof that we really do. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. This single mom is a tour de force. She's worked in radio sales, marketing, the music business, event planning, public relations, and she's even a singer. Her most recent chapter taps into her many skills and talents, but this time in service to cancer patients as the executive director of the nonprofit Grateful Friends. The mission is to ease the stress and the anxiety of cancer patients by paying their bills when they're going through cancer treatment. What a great concept, right? Well, the truth is I have known her for about 20 years through many of her life's colorful chapters, and her name is Andrea Hall, and this is her story. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Candy. Oh, my goodness. We already had, like, big hugs in the hallway. It's so good to see you. <laughs> there is so much to talk about. But let's begin with Grateful Friends, your latest chapter. Give us some background on the charity, because I know there's a story behind the creation of this little nonprofit. Right. So the operative word grateful started with two friends who had a cancer diagnosis at the same time. So they went through their individual cancer treatments. And then at 2015, they were sitting down at dinner and they said, wow, it is amazing that we had the funds to be able to navigate our bills and everything through this treatment because it can really cause financial shakeup. So that's when Grateful Friends was born. They made a decision that they were going to reach out and help others. Simple but so powerful, right? Absolutely. Grateful Friends. Just go to gratefulfriends.org if you want to find out more about it. How does this organization work? Walk us through the services that you provide. We have three financial programs. One is called the Little Peace of Mind Program. It usually starts with the oncology social worker. They fill out an application after they've already worked with their patient. They fax it to us. I then start sort of shaking up the numbers and seeing what we can do. They send it with a doctor's note with bills, and then we see how we can help them. And then I get back to the social worker and we move on it. There is also a program we call the Need a Break program, which is a gift card that we send to a cancer patient who needs a dinner out, a break, a massage, you know, anything just to give them a little bit of joy. And then the third program is our thank you program, which is for the caregivers. So a lot of times on the application, having spoken with the patient, the oncology social worker will write, her niece, you know, Mary Smith or whatever, you know, has been sitting there with her four days a week. She really needs to go out. So please uh, include a gift card. So I have the address and I send that out as well. Those are the three financial programs. And we have a fourth, just for a footnote, a fourth program called the Comfort Basket Program, where we send beautiful baskets and we customize them for different types of cancers, different genders, and we send them out to hospitals or we deliver them direct to the residents. Andrew, when you received this job offer, What was going through your head? Because you've had so much experience in marketing and PR and simply making things happen, but running a nonprofit? Walk me through it. I was running my marketing business for 22 years. And so I was sort of at this crossroad in life. And, you know, I always believe that things happen for a reason. And I saw it at the bottom of an e-blast from the chamber, ironically. And I looked at it and I looked at the website and I had just been through so many things. My mom had passed away from cancer and I had friends who had passed away. So it resonated with me. Mm. And I said, you know what? I think I can help. And so here I am. 
<laughs> well, you have just pulled off the charity's first gala, the largest fundraiser that this charity has ever known. What are your hopes for the future of this charity? And congratulations on that success. Thank you so much. That we grow. You know, the theme for the night is grow with us. And I feel like growth, building the supporter base for people to realize that, you know, we're not curing cancer. That's not our mission. We're kind of in the trenches with they first get that diagnosis and they're like, oh, my gosh, my mortgage is going to be due when I can't work. I'm going to be sick. So we kind of come with them. We walk with them and we help them. We try and lift that spirit and give them some hope. So we want to bring hope into the community. That's what we want to do. You are originally from Brookline, Massachusetts, yes. the same home as John F. Kennedy. Yep. I know where he was born, Beale Street. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Take us back to your childhood. It was a bit of an unconventional upbringing, but I grew up in a very old-fashioned Greek family. My grandmother and grandfather came from Greece. My mom was here, and I was born in 1961 as uh, the daughter of a single parent. Very different in 1961, very common now. The story was that my mom uh, basically fell in love with someone in the music industry. She was a dancer. She was 27 years old, thought that it was going to be the big everything. It turned out that he was too busy to get married. And so I was raised by a single mother. We lived with my grandfather, my bapu. <laughs> so you had a multi-generational family. Yeah. What was I that did. like? It was beautiful because I still cry and miss my grandfather. So he had a, a big impact on me. I feel like what it did was it, it sort of set the pace for me to realize the importance of legacy and family and roots. So when he was gone, I really wanted to carry that sweetness and that loyalty that he always had brought into my life, into my future years. What was life like in your house? I mean, here you are, you're describing growing up in the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. the daughter of a single mom, when probably nobody in your school had a single mom. I went through the same thing, by the way. I was the only kid whose parents were divorced in my whole school. Yeah. Right? It's Talk tough. about that a little. Times have changed for sure. Yeah. Well, it was a little funky because I did not know who my father was and my mother did not want to talk about that. It was a different type of upbringing. I think I always felt a little different. It's a strange thing. I think I also always felt guided and like I had someone to lift me up. And I think that's where I get my spiritual side. Music is in your DNA. Talk to me about that. My biological father was a force to be reckoned with in the music industry with jazz and gospel. His name was Lee Majid, and he worked with, so you know Della Reese from Touched by an Angel, right? So he literally plucked her out of Mahalia Jackson's troupe, and he gave her a career. He had her singing on The Tonight Show. He had her in nightclubs. Uh, he's got, he had a great history. So he loved the R&B, gospel, and jazz. He was very successful in that. You know, and he was a singer and a songwriter, too, and an arranger. He was really a jack-of-all-trades, a big promoter. He managed Lou Rawls. I mean, his list is crazy. It's a crazy list. So it is in the DNA. So I think I got his lower lung, <laughs> that, that sound. <laughs> okay, so I have to back it up then. So at one point in your life, then, you discovered your father, or did he discover you? I was 33, and I was looking through my mom's drawer. <laughs> Because I decided it was time for me to figure out what his name was. And I found all these news articles. And I said, that's it. I found him. So I called 411. Remember that? When you used to call 411? I knew he was in L.A. because I had spoken with someone from Capitol Records with the same last name. And he said, no, that's not me. But I know who he is. And he lives in, you know, he told me the, the town in California. So I called the post office. They gave me all the information, told me what color jacket he wears. So I wrote him a letter. 
and I put a picture in it and I said, look, I'm not looking for anything except to solidify the fact that you're my father and I now know. So when I have children someday, I'm going to have some concept as to what my roots are. So I thought he was just going to get this letter and probably burn it or something, right? I'm 33 years old. He hasn't reached out yet. And he called me crying. The yeah. message was, I've been waiting 30 years for you to show up on my doorstep. Well, it was interesting. My mom would have had a different take on that. You know, she didn't want money from him. She just sort of was, she was very proud. She was very education oriented. So she sort of put a line between anything about me and him. We took the Greek name of Helicopolis. We cut it down to Hall. So nobody knew. That's where I get that from. People say, what is Hall? I'm like, oh, it's Helicopolis. They're like, what? So I'm, I'm just learning that for the first time, and I've that. known you for 20 years. I know. This is such a juicy story. Tell me when you met him for the first time. I took an Amtrak to New York City. He had a place in New York and a place in California, quietly, secretly, without telling my mother or my the man who raised me with my mother, who I adored, a big tie. We all know he was a whole special part of my life. He met me at Grand Central Station. So how's that, walking off a train and meeting this guy at age 33? Ponytail, so I knew it was him. Handed me a Mother of Pearl bracelet and, and cried and gave me a hug. And he lifted my bangs up and he said, yeah, you're pretty. <laughs> that was it. Oh, my goodness. So I'm thinking that you probably ended up having some kind of a relationship with your father. What were the benefits of that? Well, closure obviously. Yeah. Secondly, there's this crazy thing that we had the same taste in music. He was so proud of me. He was bragging, look at this one. She's in the music business and she knows this and she gets it, you know, and he was just, all of a sudden I was his best friend. Isn't it so interesting how the apple does not fall that far from the tree? Even though he did not raise you, there you are with the same love of the same kind of music yeah. and a love of the music industry in general. In general. My mother used to say when I was young, even though she wouldn't tell me who he was, she used to sort of say as she would turn on her heels, oh, God, you're just like your father, yeah. <laughs> with a little bit of a smirk. But it was very interesting. I had his name on the back of cassettes that I had of Lou Rawls because I love Lou Rawls. I didn't know that he managed him for years. Yeah. Wow. Crazy stories. Crazy stories is right. Going back to your childhood, who were your role models when you were growing up? My Aunt Bella, who is now 101, by the way, and still smart as a whip because she was the older sister of my mother, and she was very protective of me. Her husband had died, and she raised her kids on her own for years and never complained. What was the life lesson that she taught you? To keep going. You just keep going. You be resilient. You know, sunny side up, a sense of humor, which we all have in my family, a little dry at times. <laughs> um, you just kind of keep plugging. And my mother was like that, too. So it was a constant in the, uh, the family. I think we're, we're all pretty, pretty strong. Those Greek women, you know, you sit with them at a table someday and, oh, my gosh, good luck getting a word in. <laughs> <laughs> you are fearless, though, Andy, ever since I've known you. And you're a risk taker for sure. And when we first started our interview, and there's this list, radio sales, marketing, the music business, event planning, public relations, you're a singer yourself, you're running a nonprofit. Where does this fearlessness come from? I always had a sense of something larger and something beautiful. It's just sort of a thing I've always known. Where did you go to college? And did you know at that point in your life what you wanted to do? I went to Boston University. I went, I know you're going to give me the look, but I went as a music major. And they told me that I couldn't play an instrument, but I could sing. So I said, okay, great. Well, I'm just going to go to the journalism school because I can write. I went over and I transferred over to a uh, school of public communications. After graduation, you got your start 
at the iconic station here in Boston, KISS 108, and also KISS AM, which was the music of your life. But you also shared an office with two legends, Arnie Woo Woo Ginsburg and Sonny Joe White. Right. Take us back to that time in your life. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think my I call him my stepfather who raised me with my mom, my big tie. He was more excited about Arnie Ginsburg than I was. I mean, he was like, can I drop you off at work today? Can I pick you up? I was always sort of an old soul. And I've always been about respect for people that are, you know, older at that time, and I was in my 20s. So I loved the sound of the music, and I loved what it represented. So I was a little intimidated by Arnie, but, you know, sort of giving the big wave in the hallway. Very different from my relationship with Sonny Joe White, who was, you know, all hugs and warmth and Southern charm and just <laughs> everybody's best friend. I just adored him. What did you learn about business at that time in your life, when you are in the middle of this big number one station with these iconic, legendary broadcasters, what'd you learn? I learned the importance of relationships in business, that you never take it lightly. You know, you foster those relationships. It was a very early lesson for me. The training was strong. You know, in sa- I was in sales at the time, and it was, it was very strong training. And it was probably the best thing I ever learned because I carry it to this day. You spent a lot of your career in radio sales on multiple major market radio stations. So in your opinion, what is the key to success as a salesperson? And maybe you just said it. (laughs) Under promise and over deliver. That is huge. I like to say that I will do just enough and then surprise them and do more because I'm always afraid that the promise, something could happen, etc. And then once you you don't, you know, fall through on a promise, as we know, you lose trust. So that I've always sort of subconsciously been aware that I'm very careful not to tap dance too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> you made the switch from radio to the recording industry with a gig at Universal Music Group. Tell us about that job. You're shaking your head like, oh my god! I had so much fun. <laughs> it was so much. It was so much fun. So uh, not knowing that my my at that time yet quite yet that my father did this, I was a natural. I was already managing bands, and so I went in there and worked with all, everything from you know Reba McIntyre, you know country to Guns N' Roses, Nirvana. I mean, my gosh, Aerosmith. I mean, so many great acts and the R and B. When I remember uh, when Mary J Blige had her first album, what was it called? What's the four one one? I think it was called right. I just loved the camaraderie. I was in a place that everybody kind of got it. Like, we all loved music. Everybody felt like we were in the club, you know? Well, you have just dropped some major iconic names. Mary J. Blige and Aerosmith and Nirvana, and the list goes on. Do you have any artist stories that you can share today? I played pool with Slash in Alston at the local 186. (laughs) Used to be Bun Did you beat him? No, I didn't. Actually, I didn't know what I was doing, but it was more just fun. Uh, He was very, very nice. And we talked about cats and I think he had snakes. So we had this big conversation about how his house had his snake almost ate a kitten or something crazy. But he was actually very, very sweet. How about Steven Tyler? Did you get a chance to talk? Oh, you're shaking your head. Uh, Yes, please give me every detail. Warmest, warm, sweet man. Told me I had a beautiful smile. I still carry that to this day. uh, And I never forgot that. That was beautiful. And, And it was so sincere and genuine. Oh, Smokey Robinson. Got to throw that out there. Tell me. Tim, just probably the nicest human on the planet. You are also an entrepreneur who stepped out on her own to form New Leaf Marketing. Tell us that story. And as I recall, getting to know you right around that time, it was a leap of faith. 
It was a leap of faith. It was pretty scary. I was older when I got married and got pregnant pretty much right after. And I wanted to be present for my son. So I took a deep breath and said, well, I'm going to work from home. I'm going to do this. So all this remote work that people were doing the last few years, I, I've been doing that for 22 years. <laughs> I had to drive them to daycare, pick them up, balance everything. It was all about the balance. It was scary. You know, I was able to pay the bills and everything sort of worked out with my son that way. And I was, I like to say, I was a hands-on mom. How did motherhood change you? Because I know you and your son are as solid as a rock and always have been. We're very, very close. I've always loved kids. I mean, my, you know, my mother used to say, don't work in the kindergarten, you'll bring them all home. It just brings a tender side of you. It makes you learn that it's okay to take a breath and watch that Superman movie for, you know, a couple of hours or... For the 400th time. For the 400th <laughs> time. It teaches you a love that you'll never know in any other way. Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about your singing life. I love this. So it's a duo called Solitude. Talk to me about this. So I had put music in my back pocket for a long time, and I was always hesitant to talk about it with people that my high school friends all knew in my grammar, you know, Brookline people. And then I kind of put it in my back pocket because I was working on the other side of the business. So I said, oh, gosh, this is going to sound crazy. I'm promoting artists, but I sing. I'm going to sound like I'm trying to sneak in the back door. So I held on to it. I hadn't even told you. I just kinda, I had no I had idea. No idea. So I'm kind of a bluesy, jazzy chick. I, you know, my you could probably tell by my speaking voice. I'm not, you know, Mary Poppins, right? So what I did was I I just met this friend of mine, and I I said, you know, you play the guitar and I sing, and what do you think? So we just worked out some songs. We do R and B and soul classics. We even do pop. We do everything from Stevie Wonder to Gordon Lightfoot. It's my passion, truthfully. It's my passion. It's my joy. You should see how your face is lighting up right now. And I think this is such a perfect conversation to have on the story behind her success because we have gifts and we have talents. And sometimes along the way, like you said, you had to put this in your back pocket. But when you take it out, you look at it and it starts to shine. Does the music fill your soul again? It fills my soul. I'm going to cry. Yes, it does. I just feel like that's where I'm the freest. That's where the hippie side of Andy comes out. <laughs> you know, I get to be artsy and creative and soulful, and I don't have to put on my business hat. If I had met you when you were a little girl and I had said, hey, Andy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have told me way back then? I would have told you I wanted to be a singer. You and me both, sister. I was singing into my microphone, and my stuffed animals thought I was awesome. Oh, yeah, the hairbrush, everything, <laughs> right? Right? All of it, yeah. And I was watching the Partridge family and just saying, wow, I want to be that. <laughs> Looking back on your career, what do you wish you knew, Andy, when you first got started on this long and really successful journey of yours? I think I would say to myself when I was younger that I would look for the helpers, as Mr. Rogers said, to be okay with mentorship and to take little bits of advice that you get along the way and put it in my back pocket for when I would need it when I was older. I think when you're young, you know, you, you think you're, you know, you're a little fearless. You feel like, oh, that's nice. And you minimize those wise words that people say. In hindsight, now I look back at things people said to me and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they were right. Yeah. And you should have listened maybe yeah, a little maybe bit. Maybe should have listened a little bit better. I think so. As a single mom whose son is now out of college and doing really well, as you look back on that time in your life, were you able to do the balancing act? Can we have it all? It was hard. I think women in general are very hard on ourselves. And there's a mantra in my house that I try and tell my son 
you have to be okay with good enough. Some days you might be at 80%. You're not always going to be 100. Some days you're never, you're never at 100%. No one's perfect. And other days you might be at 50%. Maybe another you feel like 110%. So I balanced it in the best way I could. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I generally try to manifest positivity. So what I do is I try to train myself to do this. I I don't uh, think about the specifics of the outcome. I just picture myself smiling. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received along the way? And can you pass that along to our listeners today? You know, my grandmother used to say, I hear this now, she died when I was five, but my mother used to talk about this all the time. She used to say, Yaya always says less is more, less is more. So I thought of how that applied to me. And I think of today's world you know, I feel like, you know, I've never been the queen of brevity. You know, I, I li- love to talk, right? So I'll always over, you know, sort of over explain things. But sometimes you don't need to. Sometimes you just say enough and people understand. You know, you don't need to over explain your reasons for doing everything. So yes, Yaya, less is more. You have done so much with your life and used so many of your talents. What are you most proud of? Raising an outstanding, kind, compassionate son. And I think managing that word that we all want to, but managing the balance of him seeing a mother who is strong, who is caring, who has long-term friends, I'm loyal, he knows that about me, and being able to be present for him and still run a successful business. So all those little things kind of thrown in the mix, but he is the outcome of all of it. He's a great person and um, he is my joy. Final question for you, Andrea, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, Right now, in this chapter of your life, what does success mean to you? Success means balancing compassion, I think fostering relationships, and caring for others. Uh, There's a a thing about empathy, and I think as we get older, we get better at it. You know, we've always been good people, right, Candy? But I think as we get older, we become a little more aware of things in a different way than we were thinking about them when we were 20 or 30. And I feel like just remember to be kind to people. That, to me, is success. To give that random smile to someone who's probably having a bad day, those are the things that are ultimately going to make you feel happier at the end of the day. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week on The Story Behind Her Success. Thank you so much for having me, Candy. And that's The Story Behind Her Success for this week. My thanks to Andrea Hall, Executive Director of a small but mighty local nonprofit called Grateful Friends. Find out more and donate today, please. Gratefulfriends.org. Follow them on social at Grateful Friends. I'm always on a lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please let me know? I really do read your emails. And many of the women that are pitched for the show, just by people like you, end up right here with great stories. If you'd like to nominate someone, just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.